I was uh, just pondering the words of those songs and uh, forgot what I was supposed to be doing here for a second. Man, I'm just excited about thinking about what on earth heaven's going to look like. I don't have a clue. We have some descriptions in Revelation that I get the impression that what is being described is, is something that can't be described with human words. Uh, something that's amazing, something that is worth everything we have to give up here in this life that's going to be amazing. And uh, so that was, I was thinking about that and then um, realized, oh, wait a minute here, I've got to get our tech stuff up and rolling. So maybe that's a good problem when we're taken into the presence of God somehow in our hearts that we uh, we forget about everything else that's going on around us, and that's amazing. So, yeah, good moment. Thanks, Fred. We'll go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 20, uh, 21. And we'll be there here in just a minute. Again, wanted to give a reminder for June Sheshler's funeral. It's going to be at 2 o'clock here at the building. Uh, celebration of life, right, Janet? And so uh, anybody, everybody is welcome, and there's cookies to share afterwards if you'd like to come and, and uh, participate there. Um, also, uh, there's, um, I want to share, this is a picture uh, that I took yesterday from the Great Falls Youth Rally. And it's so nice to be back in the saddle and churches uh, hosting youth rallies and church events again after some of the confusion over the last few years. And there was a great group of kids that showed up from Wyoming, from Idaho, from Montana, from all over the place to be there and to be able to participate. And um, and as as you guys know, I was in Great Falls for 15 years, so it's always good to go back and to see some old friends and people that I, I spent some time with. But there was a tremendous, wonderful spirit that is there. And you can see God working in, in some amazing ways. And uh, we have a huge crew of teenagers and chaperones that are there this morning uh, participate, participating, helping out with uh, finishing up that particular youth rally. And so what I was, uh, the theme of the youth rally was, it's a jungle out there. And the idea was, is learning to lean into Jesus that will lead us through the jungle. And so I shared some of what I shared there I'm going to share here this morning. But I remember there's only one time that I've ever been in what I would call a jungle. Uh, for Sylvia and I's 15th anniversary, we went to Mexico and spent uh, 10 days there. And we went into away from the beach one day into an interior area and saw some old Mayan ruins and in the jungle, and I, I couple, remember a couple things, is that it was January and it was hot and humid, and I've never experienced that before in January. That was something that was completely new for me. But also I remember as I was walking down the trail, looking out into that jungle and thinking, boy, I, um, I love to walk off trail and I love to explore, but it looks like if I walk into that place, there's something that's going to bite me. And I don't think I want to stick my hand in there. I don't think I want to walk in that trail because it's spooky looking. And I remember thinking that. And the idea being is that if I'm going to walk in the jungle, because I don't know what I don't know, I need a guide that's going to walk me through that. And that's one of the great importance of Jesus is that we submit to him as our guide and we're willing to, to submit to his leadership and his role in our life. And it was great just to see the, the great spirit of the kids that were there and, and then participating. And Hey, God's working in uh, the older generation, younger generations all around. And there's a, there's a bright future ahead. All right. What I'm going to talk about today is, as we've been going through the uh, God's love story, started in Genesis and we'll finish in Revelation, we're to a point right now where we're talking about the end of Jesus' life. And, and Denny Noyes did a great job with the adult class sharing some of what happens in the last few hours of Jesus' life 
before he's resurrected. But we're not going to talk about resurrection. We're going to save that till next time. Okay, that's the good news. But there's some amazing things that happen that are tremendous, uh, tremendous examples of how to live. And aside from what Jesus and his sacrifice did for us, it shows us something, uh, some things that are very, very important. So you're, if you remember and you start in Matthew chapter 21, what you see is Jesus comes as a king into Jerusalem, just like the prophet said that he would come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, this great king that was going to be. And so people come out and they lay palm fronds down and say, great is Hosanna in the highest. They're so excited to hear about Jesus come to Jerusalem, this great miracle worker and teacher who has been spending most of his time up north in Galilee. And he comes into town and they're so excited. And Jesus goes into the temple area and he starts teaching. And it isn't what we would hope in that the religious leaders that are there, instead of embracing his teachings and submitting to him, they are resistant and they try to push back and say, wait wait a minute, who do you think you are coming in here and teaching us like this? You think you're going to correct us? And they do all sorts of things in order to try to trip him up and, and find a way that they can... They can uh, try to take him out or execute him. When you look at the things that he teaches in the temple, he talks about various parables. Uh, one of the things that one of the parables that really jumps out to me is chapter 21, verse 33 and following. What he talks about is there's this this guy who had a a a, a tenant, or he was a tenant. He had a, a vineyard. The word escaped me there for a second. But he had a vineyard, and so he had some some people take care of that vineyard. And these people were not good people. They were not good tenants. And so what happened is they basically took possession of this vineyard. Instead of remembering, hey, this vineyard belongs to the owner and we are just tenants right here, they took it as their own and their possession. And so whenever the owner would send someone to come and check out the vineyard, they would abuse them, they would They would run them off. They would kill some of them. And then the owner says, maybe if I send my son, they will respect him. And they kill the son of the owner. And Jesus says, what do you think is going to happen to those tenants when the owner comes back? The point being is you people have forgotten whose kingdom this is. This is God's kingdom, and you've taken it as your own. And anybody that came and said, wait a minute, you're out of line. You're acting poorly. There's sin in your life. You have tried to execute, you have tried to run off, all of that. And so when God has sent his very son, me, what you're going to do is you're going to do the same thing as you're going to execute him. And of course, instead of humbling themselves, they get upset and they're furious about that. And Jesus continues to teach and continues to teach. He, um, he clears out the temple during this time of money changers. A lot of conflict that's happening. Jesus, in in the middle of all of this, because this is one of the great Jewish festivals, the Passover, he has his disciples find a place so that they could celebrate the Passover. And remember, people know who Jesus is. They know what's going on. And so when they go and they ask, uh, hey, say there's somebody that our our master, the teacher, needs to borrow a, a place to be able to celebrate the Passover, the person they ask say, oh, yeah, absolutely, got a place. Absolutely. Glad to let you use it. So Jesus and his disciples go and they participate in this, what has become known as the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper. Jesus, as he is there with his disciples, he, is, um, he passes around the bread and he says, Take and eat. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And he takes the fruit of the vine and or the wine and says, here, take this and do this in remembrance of me. This is the blood of the covenant. And what he establishes there is here are two emblems or here are two things that remind you of the sacrifice that I make and who you, my sacrifice I've made for you and who you were supposed to be. And so we'll take the Lord's Supper here in just a few minutes. And what it reminds us of is that Jesus did something very important for us. He died to forgive our sins so that we can, again, as we reflect, say this is still worth it, this still matters, and the blood of Jesus continues to, co- to cover me and to take away my sins. And I will not give up. And that's in part what the Lord's Supper does for us. Jesus tells his disciples, take this and remember this as you go forward. In Corinthians, we're reminded decades later, remember to take this until Jesus returns. And that's something we're going to participate here with here in just a few minutes. In the middle of all of this, there's a discussion about who's going to be the greatest in this new kingdom that's happening. And Jesus shows them something. He says, okay, you know, talk about being greatest. This is how it works. And as people are there, nobody has washed the other's feet, apparently. You, know, you think about walking around in sandals in a place where there's, the roads are dusty and there's dirt. Your feet get dirty. Go into a place. It was customary and traditional for the person who was the least important, so the least important servant, got the job of cleaning feet. Because feet are nasty, they're dirty, they're gross, all of that. And so the person who has the least amount of authority gets down and washes everybody's feet so they can sit down and have a nice dinner together. And what Jesus does, he says, hey, I want to show you something. You don't talk about who's the greatest. I'm going to show you what being great is all about in my kingdom. And Jesus says he kneels down and he washes their feet one by one and he goes around the room. And what he's showing is that My kingdom is going to be different than any kingdom that's ever existed before. This isn't about pulling rank. This isn't about pulling power. It's not about that. Those of you that are the greatest in my kingdom are the ones who are willing to get down and to wash the feet and do the dirty work and be the blessing for others. That's what my kingdom looks like. And you see what Jesus is doing. He's showing him something about who he is. God way up here that has created mankind that has submitted himself to say, I will come and I will kneel, I will become flesh, I will become mankind just like you, and I will walk among you and I will show you what it means to serve one another. And that's example. And to see, Jesus, he continues to show that example over and over again. And Peter wrestles with this. He said, wait a minute, God, you know, wait a minute, Jesus. You know, how are you, you can't, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. And Jesus says, if you don't let me do this and you have no part with me, well, then wash everything me because i want to be a part of this that was a moment that the disciples would have never forgotten as they went back and thought man this is it when the moments were tough when there was conflict all of that i wonder if this happened again as they are uh, jesus is is buried and raised and they're waiting for the holy spirit to come i wonder if this moment didn't come up again and again (laughs) And after the churches are established and God's message is going out all over the world, is this doesn't come up over and over again. As people are in conflict, as people are frustrated, like, wait a minute, I'm not going to do that. Why don't you do that? And someone says, hey, wait a minute here. Do you guys remember the story when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? Okay, so let's just, let's, 
Let's knock this off. I will do it and I will start, but let's all just serve one another. And you can imagine how the discussions changed when that sort of thing was was happening. Jesus uh, teaches his disciples there at the Lord's Supper. He prays with them, tells them, and I think it's noteworthy in John chapter 17 as he's praying with them right before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray to his, his father again. He prays for his disciples, but he prays also for those who will believe who are far off through the disciples' message. He prays for you and I specifically and says, I pray that they can be unified. I pray that they can be one. And maybe he's still thinking about washing his disciples' feet. I pray that they carry this attitude with them throughout life. Because this little slice of heaven that can be the church where people serve one another and submit to one another and and are different than the people around, look at how beautiful and amazing this can be to the rest of the world. Awesome stuff. And he prays for, for that for us. He and his disciples go up to the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is where um, his, Jesus goes off to pray by himself. And he says, Father, um, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. He knows what's coming. But not what I will, but what your will be done, God. I'm here to do what is right, not what is comfortable, not what my preference is. I'm here to do your will. And I'm in. And I'll do it. And uh, Jesus' disciples during this very potent, very very difficult uh, time, uh, they fall asleep. <laughs> you know, like some of you are right now. I'm kidding. I'm, that's not it. They fall asleep, and, um, and there they are. Uh, just uh, Jesus comes back, and he wakes them up a few times. And in all that, right in the middle of all that, here come the guards from the temple. And they come... And they arrest Jesus. Uh, Peter tries to, to, to take one of them's heads off, apparently cuts his ear off. Jesus says, whoa, wait a minute here. Reaches down, grabs the ear, and heals it, puts it back on. And, uh, and he tells the, the guards, he said, I've been with you in the temple every day. You must come now to, at night to arrest me. But this is the moment, he says, when darkness reigns. And they lead Jesus off, and his courageous disciples, or those that had been courageous just a few minutes ago, scatter at this moment in time. And as we continue to read, what happens is Jesus is given a mock trial. He's taken down to the, the, where the Jewish elders are, called the Sanhedrin at that point in time. They come up with all these false witnesses, say all these terrible things, all that sort of thing. And with the blessing, the 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 hesitant blessing, we can say, of the Roman governor, Pilate. They put Jesus on the cross. They execute him there between two other criminal, two criminals. And Jesus spends the last hours of his life at that point in this life being executed and people spitting on him, people saying all these terrible things about him. Now, if you think people have done something terrible to you, then just think about this. Okay, far, far worse. And Jesus in the middle of all this says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And he shows us this example of sacrificing for one another. Now, as the Old Testament talks about, there were sacrifices of bulls and goats that were given in order to Take away the sins of the people. When there's sin over here, instead of you and I dying, the blood of bulls and goats was given so that 
there could be forgiveness there. And Jesus shows something once and for all, and you can read Hebrews that talks a lot about this, is that Jesus became the sacrifice once and for all, that because of our sin, your sin, my sin, Jesus went to the cross as God himself to be the perfect sacrifice so that, that his sin, so that our sin could go on his shoulders and there could be forgiveness that goes forward, that goes backwards in time, that all of us who decide to follow Jesus, there is forgiveness of sins that is continual, that we can walk in the light from this day forward. It's the best news ever. And we'll get to the resurrection next week in some of the best news. But I want us to stay here in the sacrifice that Jesus made today. Now, there was a, a, a story uh, a, a Bible class teacher told me a few years ago. There was a, a young boy who was a guest that had showed up at Bible class one Sunday. And the teacher told the story about the death of Jesus. And so for us, when I tell this story, if you've heard the story before, you think, oh yeah, I've seen the pictures of it. There it is right there. I've heard the story. They put nails in his hands. They put him up on a cross and he died. And, and, that. and as this, this teacher was teaching this kid who was six or seven, he had not heard that story before. And as he is listening, there is this look of horror and shock that appears on his face. And he says, I never want to hear that story ever again. That's terrible. Why would they do something like that to somebody? And it reminded me that I never want to allow the shock of what happens on the cross to ever become comfortable or normal for me. It's terrible. And it's awful. And it's scary. But in all that, there's some amazing good news. Now, again, we're going to talk mostly about that next week because the resurrection of Jesus raises from the dead uh, because the first one to raise never to die again. And uh, the example I've used before, I think one of the Halbach boys a few years ago on, on uh, Easter Sunday, we had put a, a cardboard box up here and he jumped in it and I said, hey, can you get out of that? Yeah, you know, he gets, gets up and gets out of it. No big deal. And so with God himself being creator of the world, when he was killed in the flesh, for him, he could go into the realm of the dead, and unlike us who are stuck there that don't have a way out, he knew the combination on the door, if you will, and was able to walk out of it and be raised never to die again. And we're going to camp on that. We're going to talk about that good news next week. What I want us to do here in the next little bit is to focus on this sacrifice that Jesus made. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, what um, Hale read here just a minute ago. Paul reminds the Romans that are Christians. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And so if you've read through your Old Testament, you know the stories of about how the Israelites were supposed to, at the temple, bring their sacrifices, and they were supposed to, as the priest would slaughter, let's just say it was a bull that you brought, the person was supposed to come up, put their hands on the head of that bull, and the priest would slaughter that. And so it was a very, literally, hands-on experience for people. And that bull would be slaughtered there. It would be butchered as you were standing there watching, participating. And then parts of it would be put on the altar to be burned as a burnt offering that would go up to God. And as scripture says, sins would be forgiven. And then there would be celebration afterwards for God's forgiveness. But you think about that. What would happen if that 
that bull is being sacrificed there. And you remember or you think about, oh, man, wait a minute here. As the, the flames are going up and everything's being burned there, you think, wait a minute here. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I needed that. I need that sacrifice back. Is there any way to bring that bull back? No, it's gone. It's been sacrificed. And see, that is the key, and that's the difficult part of being a living sacrifice, because as Paul says, remember, your life, after you commit it to Christ, is a living sacrifice. You are a living sacrifice to God. And as... I've heard before, shared, I didn't come up with this, the difficult part of a living sacrifice is that it has the tendency to what? Get up off the altar and walk away. And so we have to make that decision every day. Yes, 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 I am still on board with the sacrifice that God wants me to be, and I have not given up and I have not walked off the altar yet. And I wake up every morning. All of us have that opportunity to wake up every morning saying, I will be, continue to be a living sacrifice to God. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we have the opportunity here to be really two choices, either to be a living sacrifice to God or to live for self. I live to do what God wants me to do and be, or I live for myself and I do whatever I want to be. That is the big choice that we have in life. Now, I want you to look at a picture here. What do you see up there? Can you see anything? There's a tree, right. Denny's got it. There's a tree. There's something in the tree, if you look a little closer. What's that? There's an animal in the tree, yes. Does anybody know what that animal is? Can you see it? That's a mountain lion in the tree, yes. Here's a little bitter picture of this cat right there. Now, can you imagine... Um, this particular cat is about 100 pounds, not a, not a huge cat, just an average size Montana mountain lion, you know. Now, you look at that animal and you think, man, that's kind of spooky. Um, in fact, they think that this lion in particular tried to take somebody's poodle off a porch you know, a, few, a few weeks before that. Okay. Now... When I look at that cat, when I was at the, I took this picture and I was at the bottom of the tree looking at this cat, and about here about a month ago or so, and looking at that animal and thought that is an amazing hundred pounds of killing machine right there. <laughs> you know that is phenomenal, and I weigh just a touch over a hundred pounds. You know, okay, right, a little du- a little more than double that, maybe a touch more than a little more than double that, right? And I I was thinking about what would it look like if we put this cat in the octagon, you know, the MMA uh, ring where you you wrestle. And I was put in this situation where I had to go nose-to-nose with this cat. And I've got it by uh, a lot of pounds. I mean, there's, you know, we've got the, the... Jared Deegan, who just finished up the Nationals here, um, Sawyer was a great wrestler. Would you want to wrestle somebody twice as big as you, Sawyer? No, it's scary. But there's no way on earth that I would go nose-to-nose with this cat, even though I've got it by more than two times, because that is 100 pounds of killing machine right there. And those things kill a deer a week, 50, 55 deer a year, and that's what they do. That's what God designed them to do. 
And it made me think about the scripture in 1 Peter where 1 Peter says, the devil is a roaring lion seeking people to devour. And just think about in as we walk through life, there's this evil force out there, Satan, personal, that is doing everything he can to try to destroy your soul, to try to knock you off your mark, to try to pull you in a place where, where your soul is going to be destroyed for eternity. And so when I was thinking about this, and I shared some of this with the kids, is what does it mean for us to be a living sacrifice to God? And how do we do that? How do we avoid this killing machine, this spiritual killing machine that's out there that wants to do us in? And a song came to mind. And uh, how many of you have, have uh, participated in VBS at some point in time? Bunches of us. Vacation Bible School. There's a song that I learned at Vacation Bible School when I was a kid. And it says, Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. The Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. The Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little ears, what you hear. Because the things that we hear and the things that we see, we start to internalize and they become normal or real for us. And then what happens is we start acting out on whatever those presuppositions are, whatever those concepts are. And we start acting that way. And so what happens if I fill myself up with all sorts of stuff that's out there in the world and I just listen to whatever the dominant narrative or the dominant message is in the world and that's what I put my hope in. And this is what the world is saying. This is what I'm supposed to do. And so this is where I'm going to, this is what I'm going to be. And that's what we, we do. Boy, you know, as I shared here a while back on social media, there's just a very small percentage of what is posted out there on social media is posted by, most of the content out there is posted by a very small percentage of people. It's not, it's not like it's a, a good um, picture of, of what the American populace believes. It's just a few people that are you know, pushing agenda out there. And if we buy into that, then it really changes how we see the world. If we listen to uh, primarily what we hear in life is what we hear on our playlists, maybe what we're taking in with our ears, maybe our eyes, is teaching us some, um, some things that are not true about the world that we live in. Think about it this way. Um, if you were living in Alabama in the 1850s, and right before the Civil War, what you would have heard, and you can go back and you can read this stuff. There were debates about it. There's lots of written material about some of this discussion. But if you lived in Alabama in the 1850s, the dominant uh, message that you would have heard from society was, Scripture tells us that the descendants of Ham will submit themselves to the descendants of Japheth. Therefore, it is right and it is honorable and it is scriptural for us as descendants of Japheth, people with lighter skin, to have slaves and have people that come from Africa uh, in submission to us because that's how society is supposed to work. Look it up. Scripture tells you, does not say anywhere, that having slaves is wrong. That's what you would have heard. 
And so in order to step out of that and say, wait a minute, I don't think I believe that. I don't see that. I think that's a misuse of Scripture. I'm not doing that. Love your neighbor as yourself. How can you own a slave if you love your neighbor yourself? You want to be a slave? You know, what would happen is you would have had to really step out of the discussion of society to get there. It would have been really tough. It's kind of like when the salmon are all going upstream, you would have had to swim the other direction. Every society at every time, there's something like this where we have to step out and be different than the society around us because the message of God in some way is offensive to the world around us. And I was just thinking, and I shared this with the teenagers, is that one of the things that they're going to be, uh, that, that they know and they hear and we hear from our society in the context of offering our bodies as living sacrifices to God, what they're going to hear is that if, um, as far as what you do with your body, if it feels good, then just go for it. And if you, um, and then what I shared was, if your um, society tells you that you're confused on your sexual identity or or who you're attracted to or or who you can be involved with intimately outside of a spouse, if society tells you that that's normal, that very well be normal, that very well might be normal, but it doesn't mean it's right. And so are you, as a young person, going to just buy into that and say, hey, this is what the, the people in society tell me, so I'm going to go for it? Or are you going to look at Scripture and say, wow, there's a better way here, and I am going to, with my body, walk or swim against the current in a different direction. And I could tell from some of the teenagers as we were talking about this, and it was a discussion, so there was some give and take and back and forth. One of the things I asked them, I said, how many of you have disagreed with God at some point in time? And the kids didn't raise their hands, but what I noticed is the adults did. Now, those of us that have been around long enough, we have disagreed with God. Raise your hand if you really take issue with something that God tells you in Scripture. I do on some things I, I struggle with. Now, you're going to ask, what is that? I'm not going to tell you, <laughs> okay? That's going to be something that uh, maybe, maybe uh, many of you will never figure out in this life, but there's aspects of Scripture that I wrestle with. I think, God, why did you do this? I, you know, if I was in charge, I would do this differently. I would prefer this differently. Look at Psalms. David did the same thing. He wrestles with God. He struggles with God. And so in our world, whether it be issues of sexual immorality or whatever else that is different from God, it's going to be normal for us to wrestle and say, God, I don't like that. I want that to be different. I want something else. And at that point in time, we have to make the decision, am I going to be one that is going to live for self and follow whatever society says, or am I going to say, all right, God, I'm going to do what you call me to do and be what you call me to be because... You've asked me to be a living sacrifice, and here I am. And we wrestle with that. And uh, that's something that every one of us is going to do in our world at some point in time, is we're going to wrestle with God. Am I going to submit to God, or am I not? Um, here's a... If you put, go down a few verses in Romans chapter 12, it says... Uh, gives us a concept of offering ourselves or our bodies to the body of Christ. He says, for just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So is what something I shared with the kids is um, each one of them, and this is true for you, it's true for us no matter what age we are, is um, each one of us is unique, created by God, 
to be part of God's kingdom, part of His people, to work and serve in some way that nobody else can. And if you and I, at some point in time, say, you know, I want to do my thing, I'm out, I'm, you know, I don't want to meet with God's community anymore, I don't want to meet with this church anymore, what happens is you start missing out, and so does everybody else, because you're uniquely gifted by God to serve in some powerful way in his, among his people. And it's beautiful, and it's amazing that way. And so when we, um, as I shared with you here uh, last week, when we went down to, uh, to Moab, Utah, one of the highlights for my family was meeting with that little church that was there and just walking in and saying, how can we be a blessing today? And I think it made a difference. For each one of you, whoever you are, wherever your background is, it makes a difference when you're here. It makes a difference not only in assembly here, but in interacting with people that are Christians throughout the week. What can you and I do to bless the lives of one another? It's, it's powerful um, because, again, as Jesus shows us on the cross, not only do we submit our body to Christ himself, but we submit ourselves to the body of Christ, everybody else. Everyone has a unique, um, unique role to serve in God's kingdom. Here's a... Uh, when we think about how do we renew our minds, how do we renew our hearts, remember what we see, what we hear, changes us. Since then, First Corinthians, or excuse me, Colossians chapter three, one through four. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Beautiful passage here. I have this actually uh, inscribed in Italian in my office that I was given as a gift when I lived there years ago. And uh, the idea being is that when we set our hearts right here, the things that we really enjoy, the things we're excited about, on eternity, and we set our minds on things eternity, on things that are eternal, what happens is we start to experience this death of the sinful nature in this life and God starts to change us. He starts to transform us. Look at this. This is Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And this is in the context of conflict. But he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, so think about this. If I fill my own heart with hatred towards somebody else, and I ask the kids, is there, is there somebody out there that you, uh, you really don't like? And boy, the kids raise their hands. So if you walk around focused on not liking them and, and all the terrible things they've done for you, done to you, What's going to happen is your heart is ultimately going to fill up with hate and you're going to become this person that is full of hatred. Or if you walk around and, and you carry this anger in your heart and that's what you dwell on inside, then uh, you're going to turn into someone that is, that is really angry. If you focus on and, and in your mind you let it go free with all sorts of impurity that's happening, then really dark stuff is going to come out of your life. If you focus on insecurity, your own personal insecurity, this is just another way of being selfish. And it's, it's tricky because we want to be humble, but it's different from being insecure. And if we're looking around, oh, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? What's happening ultimately is we're just focusing on us instead of 
focusing on how can I be a blessing to the person next to me. If I spend all of my time walking around thinking about how can I make the next buck, how can I get wealthy, all of that, what's going to happen is that's going to consume me and I'm going to not take care of my soul and I'm not going to invest in spiritual wealth that lasts for eternity and all of that. But think about this. If I do, if you do, look around and think, boy, what can I do to be a blessing to the people around me? What can I do to forgive the person next to me? What can I do in order to serve in God's kingdom and make a difference somewhere? How can I be a blessing in the church? How can I demonstrate repentance for sin when I fall short? How can I be transparent and honest? Boy, look at how beautiful it is outside. You know, those kind of things, when we focus on those things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, what happens is we change. When Jesus is on the cross. Um, scripture says he considered it joy. I struggle with that because what's fun or what's joyful about being put on a cross and being executed? Ah, and I wrestle with that. But I have to understand that Jesus' faith was perfect. It was so deep that even though he was being put on that cross, that he was submitting himself to, uh, to death, he was able to look past it and say, well, man, you know, in all this, look what is being accomplished by my suffering. Man, it's amazing. And if we can walk through life realizing my, God has called me, to do like Jesus did is sacrifice myself as a living sacrifice. No longer am I choosing, I'm going to do what I want right now. I don't care what anybody else thinks, but I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to do what God wants me to day in, day out. The transformation that happens in us is amazing. And sometimes as a living sacrifice, we may feel this way. See that kid laying on that stump? Living sacrifice there. Now, if I did that, I would probably take me a while to, to stretch out afterwards. That doesn't look very comfortable right there at all. Maybe he's trying to adjust his back. I'm not sure what's going on. But maybe sometimes that's what it feels like. And remember, when Jesus is on the cross, it wasn't always warm, fuzzy feelings. But it was right. And he sacrificed himself because it was right. And you know what happens when we put God first we put our own agenda aside and we sacrifice ourselves for the kingdom of God, what happens is it looks a whole lot more like this in the end. Instead of this person on the cross, God frees us to be something that we could never be before. To be courageous, to be compassionate, to be gentle, all of these qualities that God says are part of Him, part of that fruit of the Spirit that comes pouring out of us when God's Spirit fills us. And so that's what I'd like to leave you with, to consider, is for all of us, when we decide to follow Christ, there are sacrifices that God calls us to make. But those sacrifices, when we step out in faith and we do that, and we start living that way, hang on because the transformation and changes that God brings into our life are beyond anything we can imagine. Do I speak the truth? Do you know what I speak about? Absolutely. Let's remember, as Jesus gave that example on the cross, let's be living sacrifices in this life and uh, allow him to, uh, to live in us and transform us.
to be a light to the world around us. If you'd like to become a Christian today or you'd like prayers of the church, welcome to head to the back. Let's stand and sing together.